So the first month that I had a renter move out and I didn't have the money to cover the mortgage myself, then like that's when the house of cards fell. And that's when like then I had defaulted on both my loans. And so then because I had already defaulted, I moved back into one of those properties. And so then it took like nine months, I think, for us to get the short sale paperwork to go through. Looking back, I'm really grateful that I had this role model who normalized the idea of multiple streams of income and not just like throwing my fist up in the air at the man and saying, man, if if only my boss would give me more money with my W-2 job, then life would be better. Like I saw that I saw it modeled for me that like you can go out and you can hustle and you can create extra money for yourself. You don't need to wait for somebody to give it to you. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, a show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaires Bell Podcast. This is episode number 331. Stace, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Going pretty well over here. We had a fun little last family trip as a family of five before I'm I'm on a travel ban <laughs> per per the belly. So um yeah. Fun little Disney cruise this weekend. And I've had a lot of the economics of Mickey Mouse on my mind this weekend. Yeah, no kidding. It's amazing what that mouse has done for children across the world and including our own. At any rate, I don't want to get into the details of the economics of Mickey Mouse, but definitely learned that the cruise price is just the price of admission. And uh, But it's fun. Good memories. A little housekeeping. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'll get back with you and get you on the schedule. Got the schedule open up for a lot of 2024 already. So got some great guests lined up and hoping to get some more uh, in the pipeline as well. This week we have Jeff. In fact, on Thursday last week we just released his episode that Clark and I recorded a couple years ago of him when he was not quite a millionaire. And this is his episode where he is doing his million dollar holiday. Jeff has quite the story of coming Jeff Jeff has quite the story of coming from a personal financial crash, so to speak, dealing with the 08 fallout. And yeah, has risen to millionaire status in less than a decade. He's in his uh, I guess he says he's about to turn forty four. So without any further delay, let's get right into the episode with Jeff. Jeff, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure, yeah. I I uh had a rags to riches story, I would say. Um, I lost everything in the 2008 market crash. I had a house, I had a condo. I lost both of those because I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I also was getting out of the military at the time. So I found myself unemployed, trying to start my own business and really struggling to keep my head above water in San Diego, which is, I think, recently named the most expensive cost of living in the country based on our average salary. So that was 2008, 2010. I landed a government job and had a little bit of stability. And I wasn't going to take that for granted because I had already been just scraping by. And so when I got some financial stability, then I still kept a low overhead and I still was living like a college student with two roommates and keeping uh, my expenses within check, driving a used car uh, for, I think it ended up being like 16 years until I finally upgraded to a new car, which was last year. And, uh, you know, I just kept plugging away. And earlier this year, about a month ago, I finally hit the 1 million mark. And million dollar holla, woohoo! That's <laughs> nice. So I, I just, uh, I started a, a blog and I tr- started an Instagram account just because I felt like, you know, I was really down in the dumps and I really felt like I don't know if there's a way out of this. I at one point I, th- I considered living in my car. Like I thought I've got a gym membership. You know, I could really save a lot of money if I just showered at the gym. And then I slept in my car and it was just like crazy to look back and to think that I was like making that an option to save money because there was like nothing coming in when I was a freelancer um, in like 2008, 2009. So I share 
openly about my numbers, my story, just with the hope that maybe it will help somebody out there if somebody's um, having a hard time right now. Awesome. No, this is so many good. I mean, obviously, you came on the show. We did a, a million or a, a interview prior to you getting to this this point, and so it really does demonstrate kind of you know the snowball effect of how quickly this has started to to happen for you. So let's dive into to the allocation real quick. Million bucks hit net worth just recently. How is it all allocated? Sure. Uh, let's see. My four hundred one k. I've got about 405,000 in there. So we'd say that's like 40% of everything. I've got $303,000 in a high yield savings account um, because I have a, a rental property that I sold recently, which we can get into later. And so that's in a high yield savings account, earning over 5%. For anybody listening, please don't keep your a large sum of money in a checking or savings account. Please put it in a high yield savings account. Let's see, I've got 190. $3,000 in uh, equity in my primary residence. I do count that as part of my net worth. I know it's controversial, but uh, because I'm in San Diego and I plan on always having my primary residence generate some income for me, like if I'm traveling, doing slow travel, I'm, I'm fine letting people rent my place. So in my mind, I'm always going to have my home as a source of revenue. And so that's why I count my home equity um, in my primary residence toward my my net worth. I've got about $27,000 in Kelly Blue Book value in my car. You want me to give a shout out on what that is? <laughs> uh, or we can get to that later. Let's see, $22,000 in I-bonds, which I'm probably going to sell soon and move that into my high yield savings account. I've got 16000 in a Roth IRA that's just set to automatically max out by shares of an index fund every month. Got Let's see, $10,000 in cash and a couple sinking funds. And then I have $5,800, almost $6,000 in a health savings account. And most of that is in the investment portion. I don't have a lot in cash right now because of a recent um, surgery on my Achilles. Nice, man. So you got quite the, quite the diversification. So let's go back. High yield savings account. Do you mind uh, sharing when you're getting over 5% on that? Yeah, one of those is at 5.2%. The other one's 5.1%. Uh, there's a website that I happen to stumble across called savebetter.com. And it's like an intermediary where it will aggregate various high yield savings accounts. And so you can just sort by like which ones have the highest uh, yield. And so I just, I, I, I made sure in the fine print for each one that I invested in that they were both FDIC insured. And because I have more than $250,000, you know, that's the max that you'll get insured by the FDIC. Um, I have them broken down with most of them in the one that's getting 5.2%. And then the other one, uh, the rest of the money is in the 5.1% account. But yeah, that's just through savebetter.com. Nice. So you recently sold the condo. How did you decide to do that and, and why? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So I had my my condo that was solely being used as a short-term rental on Airbnb. I had gone through some different um, changes with that where I started out self-managing and then I was like running the numbers during tax season one year. And I was like, you know, my overhead or my, my cash flow, it really isn't that great. So I think I'm going to try a, a professional short-term rental property management company. I tried working with them and then my my profits went up, my expenses went down some, but then, you know, it just seemed like uh, the market kept changing so much with like, you know, Airbnb kind of fell out of favor, the market got oversaturated. And even though I had just spent $1,000 on a license to do a short-term rental in San Diego, it just felt like I was starting from scratch where like the demand had dropped so much. And I was like, I started reading up on a book on medium-term rentals and I had good luck with um, travel nurses in the past, but honestly, I think that I have just gotten to the point in my life where I'm going to turn 44 later this month. I got to the point where it was like, I just don't have the energy to hustle and try to like keep pivoting with this rental property. Like I'm at the point where I need to just enjoy life and reduce my stress. And I really don't need to have as many doors as possible and have passive income from as many doors as possible. So it was just like, it was a conscientious move that I'm just going to pay the capital gains on this 
pay the piper to the tax man and then just like walk away and have some cash to sit on. And, you know, I'm single now. And when I get to the point where I'm dating somebody and we want to buy a place together, all right, well, I've got that money ready to go. So walk us through, you lost everything. How did you rebuild, first of all? And, and what is it that you settled on? You, you mentioned freelancing. So what is it that you do? Are you still doing that? Did you go back to that when, when, uh, when the market kind of recovered? I, I got my undergrad degree in uh, cinema production. And, uh, and then on a side note, like my, my stepdad, when I was, I got accepted to USC film school, it's like one of the top film schools, but he was like, what kind of job are you going to get doing that kind of work? You know, you should become an engineer, Jeff. That's like a lot solid, more solid career path. But I did pay for school with the ROTC scholarship. And so I, after graduating college, you know, I was already committed to serve at least four years as a naval officer. So after I finished my time in the military, then it was like, all right, well, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, I'll, I'll follow my passion because it didn't seem like a lot of people were hiring during the uh, 2008 recession. So I'll just follow my passion and go into become a freelance video producer because that's what I got my degree in. And n there was like hardly any work at that time because for one, video marketing was like such a new thing. I'm like trying to explain, I'm trying to sell the value of it to people, but um, they still, it's like way be, be ahead of its time. And then also at that time, there was just like small businesses had no kind of advertising budget. And so like, you know, we're all like going to networking events, trying to meet each other to drum up business, but it's like, nobody has money to like really refer business to anybody. So it was like a really tough time. Uh, at one point, I think I, I only made like 10 to $12,000 in a year. And so like, and that's in San Diego, where it's like high cost of living. So I think the only thing that actually like made it possible for me to scrape by and like survive those lean years was that I had a house and a condo, both of which I had moved out of and I had renters in both of them. And I didn't have any kind of like emergency fund for myself or for the properties. So the first month that I had a renter move out and I didn't have the money to cover the mortgage myself, then like that's when the house of cards fell. And that's when like then I had defaulted on both my loans. And so then because I had already defaulted, I moved back into one of those properties. And so then it took like nine months, I think, for us to get the short sale paperwork to go through. So that was kind of like a blessing in disguise that I was able to live in one of my properties rent free for almost a year while we were waiting to figure out like, how are we going to get this thing offloaded? And so, you know, those were the very lean years where I was just living month to month. I had cashed out all the money that was in my 401k from my time in the Navy. Um, I had started doing credit card cash advances just to have a little bit extra to live off of every month. And it was like, I was just like waiting for like a lifeline to come out. Like, when am I going to have a break? So it was, it was very dire. And looking back, I really should have just said, all right, I need to pack up my bags, move back to Illinois where I'm from, stay with my parents, figure out what I'm going to do next. But I just... It's like I wasn't even, I had tunnel vision of just like, I just need to survive this next month and figure out what's going to happen the following month. And as a freelance video producer, I always felt this pressure, like I need to stay competitive to land freelancing gigs over other freelancers. So I was always taking free classes to learn graphic design and web design and photography, different skill sets. And so I just happened to hear about a a four month training for veterans. And um, part of that training was to help people get employed after they were done. And so I had never even looked online to look at government jobs. And after this four month training, um, they sent me a link to a uh, usajobs.gov announcement for a federal job. I applied and I think it was within six months, I was I started at my job that I'm at now. And so that was like 2010. So now I'm doing uh, video production. That's part of my job. It's uh, my title's audiovisual production specialist. I work for the uh, Border Patrol's San Diego communications office. And so like we've got people who do public affairs in the office. And then I'm on the other half of the office that does multimedia production. So we create a lot of content for like the Instagram account for San Diego 
And then uh, we do like internal messaging announcements to employees. But it's like, it's really a dream job because it has the security of government where I don't have to worry about having like six months or more of an emergency fund um, in case I lost my job. It's just like, we've got job stability, pension, healthcare, and then it's creative. So it's like the type of work that I always wish I was able to do in the Navy. Now I have that. Um, and I don't have to go on deployments. I don't have to move every two years like I did in the Navy. Like I actually get to stay put and grow roots here in San Diego. And so going through all those hardships of being borderline homeless, um, once I had that stability with a solid government job, then it was like I still had that frugality muscle was still like so tightly wound that it was like I could not just like I don't even think the whole idea of lifestyle creep where you start spending more money just because you're making more money, that wasn't even like an option for me because I still was like in survival mode. Even when I got the new job, it was like, I'm going to keep, keep having roommates. I'm going to keep driving a used car. I'm going to keep looking. How can I make more money and save more money? Like I still felt like it could all get ripped away from me at any point because I did have a one-year probationary period. And then they say like, then there's like a three-year period. So I was like, I think I was still always like not wanting to assume that I was safe, that I was secure and stable. And I was always like just feeling like I need to, I need to make sure that like I don't get back in that position where I was not able to afford to live. And uh, that's just such a, a horrible feeling for me and for my dog at the time, not having enough money to like buy her dog, like enough dog food where like her ribs started showing. And it sucks when your choices affect other people, you know, that's the worst part. And so I think that was part of my wake up call is like, I can't ever get myself or me and the people who de depend on me. I can't ever get myself in that position again. Wow. What a, what a volatile time you were in. And it's like you grabbed onto this lifesaver and <laughs> climbed aboard and then got control of the ship. And now you are smooth sailing and, and in such a happy, such a happy place. So how long did it take you? You lost those two properties and uh, you lost those two properties. And how long did it take you to be able to, to buy property again and, and, and feel like you had that stability? Yeah. Um, so I got the new job in 2010. I think it was around 2015 is when I bought a one bedroom condo in San Diego as a, it was a rental from the very beginning. I put 20% down and I wasn't going to let my cost of living go up. I was going to keep renting where my, my rent was so low. So that was a rental all along. And then let's see, it was then just this year, 2023, when I hit mil a million in net worth. So I'd say about 13 years that it took me to go from actually negative $10,000 because I had that the credit card debt from those cash advances to go from negative $10,000 to 1 million was like 13 years. So anyone listening here can know that if you are negative 10K right now in 13 years from now, <laughs> you can do this too. And this is achievable. Thanks for, thanks for walking us through that tumultuous time period and how you really came back on top. Yeah. I should note that um, I, I was able to like research different benefits that were available to me. And so like I had uh, heard about different things like that veterans will kind of find out are wrong with them, like medically. So I did a um, an exit physical and I think that I came out of the military, maybe like 30% disabled. And that might've been like $400 a month. And then as like different things were happening with my body, like I had back problems. I had like an issue where my left arm started going numb after doing like some handstand pushups from like a... Uh, some compressed discs in my neck. Um, I was like, I kept going back and filing for like, all right, I think there's more stuff wrong with me. So that was something that I want to make sure I, I disclose because I think I was getting an extra four to 500 a month when I first got out of the military. And then that increased to, I want to say it was closer to like $1,200 in like 2017. And then it bumped up again. Now it's like closer to 2100. Uh, that just happened in the last year. So I haven't had like, it's basically the equivalent of like a third paycheck that I get that's tax free. 
And, and so that's, that's something that really like the more significant uh, payments has happened most recently. I like to think that even though that benefit is only available to military vets who have some kind of disability, I do like to think that there's other benefits that are out there that it's almost like representative of other things that like all it took was for me to finally do the legwork, talk to other people and find out what kind of things are out there. And so I think, you know, maybe it's not a VA loan, maybe it's an FHA loan. Maybe it's a good neighbor next door program if somebody's in law enforcement. I like to think that like there are equivalent things out there in every industry if somebody just, you know, does the networking, finds out what those opportunities are. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I've been very fortunate with that. So that's kind of like the equivalent of almost like three paychecks a month instead of two. Well, thank you for your service. We really appreciate all of our veterans and, uh, and the sacrifices that you've made. Have you been able to take advantage of any other VA loans or, or the like throughout your journey as well? Yeah. Um, so I, that was kind of part of my initial story in 2005 when I bought my first condo, which I later lost. I, I bought it with a VA loan with zero down. And then the market was like on an upswing. So two years later, I had $100,000 in equity on that first condo that I had bought. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just buy a house too. I want to be a dual homeowner because uh, my ego wanted to say I was a dual homeowner. And so, uh, so then I took that 100000 in a home equity line of credit, bought a house for 500000 And then it was like when the market crashed, that's when I lost both properties. So I like to think that like my lesson learned was I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was told like, oh, well, it's free money. You know, the VA loan, it's like zero down. So it's kind of like free money. So, okay, well, real estate never goes down. You never lose in real estate. So I was just like, okay, well, this is what people are doing. And so like after losing everything now with real estate, I'm like very much like I run the numbers. I make sure everything makes sense. I measure twice, cut once kind of thing, measure three times really, because I want to make sure if I buy a property, like, is it going to work as a short-term rental? No. Is it going to work as a medium-term rental? Okay. Uh, is it going to work as a long-term rental? Like I try to have like plan A, B, C, and then, cause then I, I like to do buy and hold ideally. So then when I move out of my place, then it could become a rental. And then even if I get myself in the same position where let's say I have to move out for some reason, if I hit dire straits, well, I want to make sure that any property I buy will at least break even with renters. And so like, those are the kind of numbers that I run now is like, always make sure that it's going to make financial sense. Don't fall in love with some house and let my emotions run the decision. Like make sure my brain is involved and the logic is involved and not just the emotions. So to answer your question, yes, I did use the VA loan, but then I lost the VA loan because I had to short sell the property. So I'm told that I think I still have access to the VA loan, but it's not the full like benefit. I think I have to provide like 7% down. So it's not as good of a benefit as it used to be. But the other military or veteran benefit that I've taken advantage of was um, the GI Bill because the GI Bill, they will give you um, housing allowance for every month that you're a full-time student. So that was another thing that gave me a big bump to get to a million uh, net worth in 13 years. Um, I went back to school. I got three different master's degrees because I had three years of benefit. And so those three those three different masters, for me, it was like about $2,000 a month in um, the housing allowance, which is tax-free. So, you know, which is m worth more if it was actually like paid in a salary form. So $2,000, you know, is like 24000 a year. And I got three degrees. So I like to think that was like $72,000 that I got just because I, I was willing to find out. I've got this opportunity available to me, but how do I juggle this being a full-time employee and become a full-time student? So I needed to really like figure that part out. And then I needed to commit like mentally, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get off work, then go to class, then make time for homework, do, do uh, projects and finals and um, write papers on weekends? Like I had to mentally get myself ready where it's like, I need to almost like have zero life while I'm doing this. And I think it was still rooted in that whole, like that scarcity period where I lost everything. Listen up millionaires and soon to be millionaires. Do you ever buy anything online? I know I do. In fact, some of my favorite places to purchase 
are online. Do you know some of those favorite places that you buy from? There's some amazing websites out there, and many of them are powered by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage and all the way in between to we just hit a million-dollar order stage, yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their personal in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading e-commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash unveiled, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash unveiled now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash unveiled. And thanks again to Shopify for supporting today's episode. I was like, you know, I really, I can't afford to let an opportunity pass me by because the GI Bill, when I got out, we only had 15 years until it expired. And I had... I was like 10 years past the point of getting out of the military. And I was like, it's do or die. Like I have to get this started now before I run out of time. I think that was like driving me like, yes, this is going to suck, but I just need to embrace the suck. And I need to just know that there's something better waiting for me, waiting for me on the other side. And so uh, that was, that was another like big boost of like, instead of me only relying on my income from my W2 job, like I was willing to put in the sweat equity and essentially work two jobs by being a full-time student while I was working full-time for three years while I got those three degrees. Wow, man, what a journey. So Jeff, where do you go from here at this point? Do you have a target net worth or passive income goal or lifestyle goal or anything like that? Yeah, uh, I think it's a lifestyle goal, to be honest, Jace. I, because I have um, a little bit of money from VA disability and I have a pension, uh, when I uh, retire from my government job, I really don't feel any kind of pressure that I need more passive income. So like having a rental property doesn't feel necessary to me. I feel like I will have all of my basic needs met just with those two streams of income. And I'm still maxing out my retirement accounts. So I feel like even if I didn't have those two streams of income, I'm projected to have somewhere between like a million and a half to $2 million to $2 million just in my retirement accounts by the time I retire. So if I was using the 4% rule, I could probably live off of that if that was my only stream of income. So because, you know, just big picture back of the napkin math, I know like my basic needs are going to be covered by those first two streams of income. Um, My 401k, that's going to be just like extra fun money. You know, when I move out of this current place I'm in and make it a, a travel nurse rental, that'll be extra income. So I really don't have a net worth goal anymore. Hitting 1 million to do the million dollar holler was cool just because I like to have milestone goals along the way. But I knew that that wasn't really going to be like the end all be all. Um, it, also, it actually gave me a sense of pressure because I was like, as I was getting closer to that million dollar mark, uh, I would check mint.com every month. And as I got closer, I was like, man, if I, if I hit a million dollars, and I'm not like my life isn't like everything is in order and I'm not like happy in all aspects of my life. Then I think I didn't hit fire. I hit like what they call dumpster fire where it's like, yeah, I've got the money, but I've got like nothing else going right in my life. So it was like almost a sense of pressure that I should probably get my life in order. So like when I get to that point, like I'm a little bit not a hot mess. Uh, so, so net worth goal. No, I have no net worth goal. Um, passive income uh, goal or monthly income goal. Not really. I think I I have about $5,000 a month take home right now from my W-2 job. If I throw in the money from VA disability, I've got $7,000 a month um, in take home. So I guess, you know, I, I could say it would be nice to just have at least that same amount every month in retirement so I can still have the same quality of life when I retire, but I just, I feel very 
comfortable, very confident that money is not going to be a concern. And so I, I feel very blessed that like I put in that work of that sweat equity on the front end that now I can just like worry about all the other things out there that I can worry about, you know, health, family, friends, like money doesn't have to be one of those worries anymore. So like in terms of what am I, what am I going to aim for next? It's not financial. I, at this point, it's more like now that I'm not having to burn the candle at both ends, being a full-time student while I'm working, uh, my goal is like, I want to plan as many trips as I can. I want to travel hack. I want a credit card hack. I would love to go on like one trip every month at least. And so I'm just like, this whole year has just been like going down the bucket list of all the places that I've always wanted to go, um, starting in the US. And then eventually, I think next year, I'll have some more international trips that I'll kind of throw into the mix. Awesome. Is there a certain age or or plan for retirement or moving into kind of more of the lifestyle design where you're not working full time? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So I'll be 44 later this month. I just got a promotion. And so with the new promotion, I need to, I need to fill that role as a GS 13 for at least a year. So my whole thought is I really like where I work. I like the people I work with, but they said with the promotion, I need to come into the office every day. I had to give up my two days of telework every week. So I just tell myself, all right, well, I'll pay my dues. For 52 weeks, I will go into the office every day, but my mind is on like, what's the next step for my lifestyle design? So, you know, in a year, then I'll be available to apply for maybe there's another GS-13 position, or maybe there's a GS-14 position that's fully remote, and then I'll have the opportunity to um, do like slow travel, uh, because I love the idea of like just being a digital nomad or being able to, maybe I'm dating somebody who lives in a different city and then I can kind of bounce back and forth between San Diego and another city, but not having to just have my life uh, limited because I, I need to drive to an office five days a week. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of toying with that idea, you know, in a year, will I want to kind of keep a nine to five schedule or will I want to travel more? I have a uh, retirement countdown app on my phone that counts down how many years until I'm retirement eligible. So that's either 11 years if uh, if they honor the rule of 55 or it's 13 years if I need to wait till I'm 57. So that's kind of the next stage. And I think that when I hit 55, because I'll have more than 30 years in, I think that then I'll, I'll be eligible for what's called phased retirement, where then you can work like 50% of the time. And I really like that idea where, again, like milestone goals, I like having something that like, what's next? Like, what's the next thing to look forward to? So phased retirement would allow me to like work for one week in the office and then have a week off. So like, I would love to just like maybe front load that where it's like um, the last week of the pay period I work, the first week of the next pay period I work. So I work for like two weeks straight and then I could travel for two weeks straight. And then essentially kind of like start dipping my toe into that like semi-retirement life. For, and yeah, I would do that for two ahead. years. Yeah. And then I would retire fully at 57. Interesting. So I want, I want you to speak a little bit, if you don't mind, what it's like kind of doing this, building this in a high cost of living area. You know, I've had several requests and people write in about this over the years. You know, how do you do it in a high cost of living area? Well, here you go, Jeff, working, you know, government, post-military, got a pension, which is obviously very valuable. And we'll get into that in a second, but you've done it. How? Yeah. Well, you know, the biggest expenses, I'm sure everybody who watches or listens to your show, they know housing and car, those are the two biggest. And then, you know, food is number three and food, it seems like has just like doubled in price since uh, like post COVID. So it's very easy to just like if you're keeping up with the Joneses or if you're just living like a typical American lifestyle, it's very easy to have your food budget just be astronomical be between like just the cost of not making food at home and then the cost of like food delivery services. And that's my weakness. Like I'm, I'm speaking from somebody who like doesn't cook a lot. And so like I, I will go out to eat a lot and usually it's fast casual places, but still that is kind of like my Achilles heel. Now for housing, that's, that's usually the biggest expense where like, you know, I think the average rental for like a one bedroom in San Diego right now 
is um, starting at like 2,500 a month. And if I was going to just be average and just keep up with the Joneses, I would probably say, oh, well, that's how much everybody's paying. Well, I'm just going to pay 25 a month, 2,500 a month. But when I was renting, uh, it was 10 years that I was renting a three bedroom. And when we first moved in, that three bedroom was, I think it was 1,600. And so like, it was like a good deal at the time, but then split between three people, I think my rent was like between six and $800 a month. So like, I already knew like I'm paying half or less of what the average person is paying in a nice walkable neighborhood in San Diego. And so like, that was my number one is like, I'm not going to just keep up with the Joneses and have an apartment that's super expensive. And, and so like, if somebody is uh, let's say a married couple, both people are working. Um, a lot of people will say like, you know, have maybe one of those spouses save their entire paycheck and then just try to live off of the other person's paycheck. If, if you are married or in a relationship where you live with somebody, you know, it's, it's kind of nice because then your roommate is somebody that you actually get along with. You know, you're, you're sharing a space with somebody that you like. Most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, that's the downside of being single is that, all right, well, now you're going to have to have roommates that you may or may not get along with them. But then the positive, the pro side of being single is like, well, when you're single, that's like you're, and you don't have kids yet, that's your time to like live scrappy, like to live that college student lifestyle. And you are in, in control of your own destiny because you're not having to make decisions for an entire household. So I would say you, you, you just need to have that that mindset that like, I'm not going to just follow the beat of what everybody else is doing. But if you have this bigger goal, this bigger dream that you see something on the other side of that finish line, that's going to be worth hustling and kind of being mindful, um, making frugal choices. Like if you have that vision, then I think it'll be easier to just pass on those things that seem like, oh, that's kind of pricey. Like, paying paying $20 for a couple mimosas like at brunch like that that seems like a lot of money but everybody else is doing it but you can kind of start to have those goals where it's like yeah it's just 20 bucks would be the average kind of the thought process but then you need to have a better goal for that $20 if you know that that $20 is going to be part of a down payment of a rental property or if it's going to be part of a Roth IRA that you're maxing out and you know what that Roth IRA is going to grow to with compound interest in 10, 20, 30 years, you know, you'll have a higher goal that you'll know that that money can be better utilized. But you have to kind of run those numbers and you need to have that vision first to say, I'm not going to keep up with the Joneses. I'm not going to have an apartment that's super expensive to myself. I'm not going to drive a new car just because my friends are buying a new car every couple of years. Like you, you have to have that vision first. And a lot of people will say that in the fire community, they'll say like, um, it starts with mindset. And I think that's kind of what they're getting at is like, you need to figure out with your own mindset, why your goal of financial independence, why that is more important and why that is more motivating to you than just having some temporary pleasure in the short term of buying that thing for some uh, retail therapy. I love that. That reminds me of Simon Sinek's, you know, start with why. Uh, and it's something that I've used in my, in my own line of work as I do nutrition counseling is what's your why? If your why is something really superficial, it's not going to take you very far, but yes. uh, you've, you've really developed a very strong muscle for delayed gratification. If you have an app that has a countdown for 13 or 11 years from now, that is someone <laughs> who can delay gratification for a greater goal. So real quick on the pension, I mean, you didn't put that in your net worth, but clearly that has some value provided that you finish out, you know, the years of service, correct? Correct. Yeah. I, I'm not a, uh, even though I work for a law enforcement agency, I am a professional staff member. So my pension is a smaller percent like than a law enforcement person. Law enforcement officers uh, in my agency, they get like 1.8% for every year served. For me, it's just 1% uh, per year served, uh, which I'm not going to balk at because I know how few people, how many few jobs have pensions. Um, but I will have uh, with my six years of the Navy that I've already bought back those years, um, 
that plus my time working for uh, Border Patrol, it'll end up being uh, 32 years uh, when I'm eligible to retire. So that'll be 32% of my uh, salary. Wow. So that's nothing to nothing to squawk at. I mean, that's that's real money. Right. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. For anybody who's ever uh, kind of considered a federal job, federal government job, they're all posted to usajobs.gov. And you can like check a box if you want one that's uh, fully remote, uh, if that interests you. I will say that it can be very competitive. And so like if you are a military vet, a lot of companies or agencies, they'll kind of look only at the military vets first and give them veterans preference before looking at the rest of the applicants. But, um, you know, they also, the federal government off, also offers what's um, called, or at least in my, my agency, since law enforcement, a social security supplement. So from the time you retire until age 62, you get 75% of what would normally be paid out uh, from social security. And that's not paid by the Social Security Administration, but it's paid by um, the Office of Personnel Management. So they're just kind of like, because they figure people who work in law enforcement, they probably, their bodies break down a lot younger. So then they're kind of forced to retire early. And so then that helps them kind of bridge that gap from when they retire. Um, some retire as young as 50 until age 62. So that's that's another little perk that I, I know is going to be there, but I don't really kind of do the math or I don't really plan for it the same way that like social security is like something that I don't like to include in my calculations because I don't want to have the rug ripped out from under me if it ends up being like some smaller percent of what I'm expecting. Sure. I'm really impressed by how much you know about the benefits available to you as a veteran, also just within your your government job. Is there is there something for other veterans? Uh, is there a person that helps walk people through the benefits that are available or is it just word of mouth and talking to other people? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, they've got some uh, different podcasts and blogs that are specifically designed for mil uh, military vets. So I think that if somebody is interested, if, if their interest gets peaked, if they just do a Google search for like military veteran fire or military veteran fire blog podcast, they will find things out there that's geared toward them. That's just going to be a wealth of resources because there can be so much stuff out there that it's hard to navigate all the red tape. But I will tell you the same way that like, you know, I discovered your podcast and as a quick plug for Millionaires Unveiled, your podcast is the only one that I've actually listened to starting at the very first episode all the way through to like present day. Um, because I think I just, I wanted to achieve that whole like Tony Robbins, like you want to be the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Like your voices were like in my ears as I was walking around, walking the dog, walking to class, walking, you know, taking a walk uh, during my breaks, um, driving to, to, to work. Um, because I was, I don't know, it was like, I was just so fascinated by hearing these stories and it was almost like I wanted to just like average out. Like I wanted to have a sense of what is the common thread that all these different people from different walks of life, like I wanted to just kind of wash over me and assimilate into me where then I will kind of have this sense of like a spidey sense of something seems like it's off and it's a little different and somebody is promoting something that's not what all the other millionaires are doing. I wanted to have that kind of like sixth sense about that. And, and I mentioned that because I think Millionaires Unveiled was the type of content that I was like really wanting to hone in on. And so the reason why I mentioned that is because if there's a veteran who's also interested in fire, all you have to do is Google veteran fire blogger, veteran uh, fire podcast. You will find something that, that matches your niche. And that's really what it's all about is to find some content creator who is similar to you, who you can see yourself in and relate to, and you like the way that they tell their story and, and, and share their content. And uh, I think if you just assimilate that content over time, it'll just kind of become second nature to you. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks for uh, sharing that. Well, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. And some of these are different than uh, the first go around. So this will be good. Let's do it. What's, what's the uh, most expensive pair of shoes you bought? Oh man, running shoes are a lot right now. So probably like 150 bucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about the uh, most expensive meal out? 
Uh, that was also around 150 bucks. That was uh, for me and my best friend after celebrating the million dollar holla. Nice. <laughs> okay. Which, uh, which restaurant did you go to? Um, it is a new place. Uh, it's like Oaxacan, uh, Oaxacan Mexican uh, in this new like fancy hotel that just got renovated in San Diego, uh, the Lafayette Hotel. Nice. All right. Let's uh, get into the car. Tell us about the car. Oh, yeah, the car. So um, I am not a car person. I had to do a lot of research of like, what's the most recommended, most reliable fire friendly fire car, not fire friendly, financial independence friendly car. And uh, it was Toyota and Honda were like the two that came up the most. And so I ended up going with a Honda Civic Sport hatchback. And so I just I love it. It was like $29,000 and uh, it was like, it's sporty, it's fun to drive. Um, the hatchback makes it super utilitarian if I need to throw a bike or a surfboard in it. And I was going to go for hybrid, but last year, like the dealers were wanting to charge such a high like surcharge for hybrids. It was so hard to get them. I was like, all right, well, I don't, I'm at the point where I don't really need to pinch pennies anymore. So I'll just kind of give myself a little bit of a splurge by buying a non-hybrid and it's going to be a fun car. It's going to have like that sporty engine on it. And so I'm kind of surprised that like somebody who's not into cars, like I found my version of like a midlife crisis sports car. <laughs> it's, still, it's a Honda Civic still. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Somebody get this guy a hatchback. He's in. Yeah. <laughs> What's a key lesson you learned from childhood? Key lesson from childhood. Oh man. Um, you know, I made a blog post about this uh, once about like uh, the Robert Kiyosaki rich dad, poor dad lessons. My biological dad, he was, I think, more of like just a standard, I'm going to work a W-2 job and that's it. And that's all that I can ever expect for myself. My stepdad, who um, married my mom, uh, I think I was maybe around seven or so. So like most of my childhood my, was with my stepdad. Um, and he was a lot more entrepreneurial. He was a police officer, but he also had two rental properties. He also had a vending machine business. So like he had multiple streams of income. And looking back, I'm really grateful that I had this role model who normalized the idea of multiple streams of income and not just like throwing my fist up in the air at the man and saying, man, if, if only my boss would give me more money with my W-2 job, then life would be better. Like. I saw that I saw it modeled for me that like you can go out and you can hustle and you can create extra money for yourself. You don't need to wait for somebody to give it to you. Awesome. What uh, what bucket list experience are you looking forward to? Oh, man, so many. But um, the one that's coming up soonest is Vancouver. I'm going to fly there for my birthday weekend and I have wanted to go there for the longest time. And it's really not that far of a flight because I'm, you know, it's all West Coast. So I I'm, guess I'm kind of surprised that I didn't do it sooner. But uh, yeah, that's that's going to be the next, the most immediate one on the list. It's a great city. Hey, that's one, one of our my favorite, favorite cities. Oh, yep. cool. And, and Jeff, actually, we talked about this before the show, but I don't think you mentioned it at all through the interview today. How long did it take you to go? We, we, you had been interviewed previously by, by Jason Clark. How long did it take you to go from around 500,000 to a million. Yeah. Uh, so I was, you know, another thing that was a big like boost to the trajectory of my, uh, my path to financial independence was I agreed to take a one year uh, work assignment out in DC and I was collecting per diem for that whole time. And I moved back into my old apartment where I used to be. And then my, my current condo where I'm at now, I got that rented to a travel nurse. So I was essentially pocketing almost my entire paycheck and getting per diem for like a solid year. And so that was huge for me to get that extra bump. But it was about two, three years ago that I was driving out to DC. And I remember I had just taken the time to update all my numbers. And, um, and I was like, I, I updated everything in Mint, some of the stuff I had to manually input. And I was like around 500,000. And I remember telling my old roommate, my best friend I used to live with, I was like, man, I just, I just uh, realized I have half a million net worth. And he was, he was just as shocked as I was. And I was like, I can't believe this. I, it just seems like I'm just kind of plugging away, like very slowly, not seeing a lot of growth because I wasn't really tracking it very closely. And so that was a real like shock to my system. Then I'm working per diem 
you know, assignment for a full year and seeing this extra huge bump. Then we see this huge bump with the stock market, with real estate. And I just happened to own two properties at that point. I had a rental property and a new primary residence. So it's like all of these things happened to work in my favor, kind of like the cash flow uh, game where it's like I was able to get myself out of the rat race, just living like month to month. But I had these investments, these assets where it's like I had enough in my 401k. I had two properties at that point. It's like I was able to really take advantage of this huge boom that we saw in the economy between the stock market and the real estate market. And so then it was just, it almost feels like it happened overnight to go from 500,000 to a million, not even three years later. And so, I mean, that's what a lot of people say, like it takes the longest to get to the 100,000 mark, but then it like really picks up speed speed after that. So yeah, like I'm definitely testament to that. And so now I'm kind of looking forward to the point where it's like, my the average amount that my net worth grows every month like it's almost like a challenge like uh all right if my net worth is growing twenty thousand dollars a month on average let's see what if i just spend ten thousand dollars traveling like then it's still gonna be keep growing steadily but like it's almost like yeah i could have fun with that <laughs> so do you find yourself tracking it more closely now than you did previous to getting to that five hundred thousand dollar mark so on my instagram account the posts the beginning of the month post where I include a screenshot from Mint and I break down in the caption, here's the actual, like, this is where all the money is allocated. That is the post that tends to get the most like likes and comments. And and so, and so I, I feel almost like, well, if people are interested in that and seeing what that is, I wanted to keep posting that until I hit a million. Uh, but then after hitting a million, then it took a dip. And now it's like, around five or I'm sorry, 981,000. But I, thanks to Millionaires Unveiled, again, I, I wasn't planning on being like a promoter of your podcast, but um, because we'll, I've we'll listened- Jace yeah. will take it. I'm just here for fun. Well, because I've listened to enough episodes and every time uh, Jace would ask like, well, when did you hit a million? And I've heard enough people say, oh, well, they kind of shrug it off and laugh like, well, we first hit a million like a year ago or two years ago, and then it dipped and now it's back up and now it's like way over a million. And like, I just have this sense of like security and sense of like confidence that like, I don't, it doesn't really matter if the market is going to take a dip because I've heard enough people who have been in this game way longer than me, who you've already interviewed on your podcast, that they have had it dip below a million. And then it always comes back and it always comes back way more. Let's uh, let's go back to a couple of more rapid fire questions. What's the craziest thing that you've ever done to earn money? Craziest thing I've ever done. I don't think I've gotten all that crazy, but uh, I've done, I've been a mystery shopper and that was fun. What were you mystery shopping? Uh, I went to a sushi restaurant. Um, I think I went to a store and bought some clothes. It's usually restaurants. And it was kind of exciting because, you know, they comp your meal and then they give you a little bit extra for writing a report and then sending it in. But it, it made me feel like I was like this this secret agent who was like going in and like, hopefully they're not on to me because I'm like really studying their behavior and I'm like <laughs> making notes on my phone. Like I, I was convinced that like, if they see me make notes on my phone, they're going to know something's up. And so I was like, I would go into the bathroom and then like make notes on the phone and then come back out. I was like, so paranoid, that like I'm going to get fired from this job. But uh, it's funny. Yeah, that was that was a fun one. What's the most fun you've ever had with money? The most, oh, that's, this is a new question. The most fun I've ever had with money. You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is I was dating a guy who, I was dating a guy who he's really into Kiehl's, the, the, like the nice skincare products. And he mm -hmm. had, he had some Kiehl's face wash and he was, he was flying back to Sacramento. And I remember before he got to the gate to board his plane, he was uh, texting me about how he was so upset because his bottle of face wash, which is like, Kiehl's is expensive crap. Stacy, I'm sure you could probably attest to this if you've used them. I actually have never bought Kiehl's, but I'm familiar with it. You know and, the brand. Okay. Skincare is expensive across the board, but Kiehl's is particularly expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they sell it in the fancy bougie malls. And he was so upset that like, his his bottle of Kiehl's was over the 3.4 ounces or whatever. So he had to give up the Kiehl's, the new Kiehl's bottle that he had just bought at the security. And so, you know, his phone went dark while he was on the plane. And then by the time he landed, he got a text message from me and it was a screenshot saying, 
hey, um, this is going to be mailed out to you within a few days. And it was not just the small size he had bought. It was like 40 bucks for like the jumbo size. And he was so happy. It was like all of his disappointment and frustration just like got flipped around. And he was like even more happy and excited knowing that like this thing that he thought he had lost, well, he had gotten something even better that was coming to him. And that was like, you know, just the knowing that that was only 40 bucks, but like it made such a big difference to somebody who felt like they had had this setback, you know, to be able to brighten somebody's day like that. I look forward to being able to do things like that in the future, you know, more and more often. Um, you know, if somebody feels like they got knocked down, you know, sometimes the smallest little thing can just really, you know, make brighten their day. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for sharing that. What's a closely held belief that you recently changed? A closely held belief. So the same way that I have had a vision of like, even though I'm living like a broke college student, but I know I have faith and I have vision that like, it's not going to be like this forever. And I don't care how it looks to other people. I may look like I'm poor or I'm cheap or whatever people might want to say. I know that I'm not going to be in this state forever. I have started applying that toward my personal life also. And even though right now I'm single, even though right now I had to go through some upheaval with like, you know, lost some friends that after the breakup, like I have this sense of confidence that like the place where I'm at right now is not the place where I'm going to be forever. And so I have this vision that like better days are ahead. That's going to be with like relationships, with romantic relationships, with friendships. And it has made me like raise the bar of like, if I feel like I have people in my life who are maybe fake friends, frenemies, whatever, because it's very easy to cut somebody down if, if somebody feels threatened by you. I, I heard a, uh, a quote by somebody that they said, people want to see you doing well. They just don't want to see you doing better than they are. And so I think it's very easy to have people in your life that, you know, they're, they may seem happy for you or they may seem like they're supportive of you, but when it, when push comes to shove, they probably aren't there for you. And so I've been more comfortable being uncomfortable where I may not have plans for the weekend. I may not know who I'm going to be hanging out with when I go on at least one of the three trips that I have coming up, but I'm confident that I will make friends along the way and that it's not always going to be a solo journey that I'm taking. Hope that answers the question. Awesome. Any last words of advice for somebody who's just starting out? Yeah, I know like the financial independence movement, it, it gets a bad rap that like they are extremists, that they take it too far. But I think that the the fire movement has really evolved and there's a lot more nuance. Um, there's a lot more of like, hey, let's have a high quality of life along the way for the whole journey from now up until uh, we hit fire. And so I've really embraced the idea that everybody has a different timeline. I started out with a very aggressive timeline of wanting to have a 50% or higher savings rate so I could like get myself out of this feeling of scarcity and get stability as quickly as possible. But you know, just because I did it in 13 years doesn't mean that that's like the right way. You know, some people, they may be really happy with their life and where they're at. And so maybe a 15-year timeline or maybe a 20-year timeline uh, with like a, a lower savings rate, like maybe that is your sweet spot. And so I would say like, don't discount the principles of the FIRE movement or Dave Ramsey or David Bach. He's my my favorite of like the old school OGs, but whoever the, the, the person is that's kind of giving out advice about financial independence or frugality, like don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater because you're thinking like, oh, well, those people who follow that movement, they're too extreme. Like, well, you don't have to do it extreme. Like you can just do it at a half pace of what those people are doing it. And so like, you know, the same way that you may follow somebody on Instagram, who's like a fitness influencer, you don't have to do every one of their workouts, but maybe you'll do like half of their workouts, or maybe you'll just get a little bit of inspiration to do like one of the new uh, techniques in the gym that they're doing. So like if you just get a little bit of inspiration and it just gets you past that average point where like most Americans aren't going to be able to retire, it seems like they're going to have to work their whole life. Like just, just be okay with like what, figure out what your timeline is when you want to retire and be open to the possibility that it doesn't have to be bleak just because there's a lot of bad news out there 
in the in the media? Well, it's also because there's a lot of spending habits that aren't very mindful and people who are just going along with the masses and not really trying to find solutions. If you have a growth mindset and you are interested in breaking out from the pack, you know, you can do it. Uh, you can do it on your timeline. It doesn't have to be a super aggressive timeline, but there's a lot of people out there who you can probably model what they've done. If you just go out, if you seek, uh, you can find it. Awesome. That's Jeff with the net worth of a million bucks. Thanks for coming on the show today. <laughs> Thanks. It sounds more official when I hear you say that for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Wave my wand. I'm the official millionaire mentee. I love it. <laughs> it's ordained. Congrats, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.